الحمد لله الحمد لله وكفى والصلاة والسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى أما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم وما أمروا إلا ليعبدوا الله مخلصين له الدين وقال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم إنما الأعمال بالنيات أو كما قال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم Most respected students of deen, mothers and sisters, with the fuzzle of Allah Tabaraka wa Ta'ala, <coughs> over the past two lessons, the past two talks, we have been discussing some aspects about ikhlas, about sincerity. May Allah Tabaraka wa Ta'ala grant me the reality of this, give it to all of us, make everyone totally sincere in everything that we do everything should be only for the pleasure of Allah wa ta'ala. that nafs and our personal motivations don't creep in at any point in any time this is the crux of the entire discussion the object, the purpose of ikhlas and this is why we are discussing this in the hope that Allah ta'ala grants it to the speaker to the listeners and this is something we have to keep discussing. We have to keep listening to, keep talking about. The more we talk about it, the more we listen to it, the more, inshallah, this consciousness will develop that this is something we have to make an effort to acquire. We are far from the reality still, very, very far away from the reality. But this is one of the ways in which we will become conscious that we have still a long road to pass a lot of ground to cover before we can come anywhere close to the reality of ikhlas. And if we don't talk about it, we don't listen to it, there's no discussion about ikhlas, then Allah forbid, Allah forbid, we will start regarding ourselves as mukhlis, as people who have great sincerity, despite being devoid of it. This is the major calamity that comes on a person sometimes, Allah Ta'ala save us, Allah Ta'ala protect us, that despite being far away from the reality of ikhlas, a person regards himself as mukhlis, a person regards himself to be sincere in his endeavors, yet nafs has already permeated every fiber of that, nafs has already corrupted a person's intentions in so many different ways, and after all that, a person still regards himself or herself as I am very, very mukhlis. This is the danger, and therefore we have to be constantly revising these lessons, discussing this great wealth of ikhlas, that how is this acquired, what is it all about, talk about the incidents of the mukhlisin, which will inspire us to try and emulate them, and inshallah, when we will continue with this time and again, we will start with the fuzzle of Allah Ta'ala alone, inching forward, as I mentioned, we have a long road to travel still. We are nowhere near the reality. We have a lot of ground to cover. We haven't even tasted, forget taste the fruit of ikhlas, we haven't even smelt its fragrance yet. Even the fragrance which goes far away, we haven't yet smelt the fragrance. We just have some intellectual concept of ikhlas still. But the reality is still far away from us. 
but that should not distract us from making an effort to get closer to the reality. And this is the purpose of these discussions. Hazrat Mashafari Thanvi Rahmatullah used to state that when I find some deficiency within myself, this is obviously something he used to say from his level and his maqam. What can we imagine what he's talking about? And we should never try to compare these statements to our condition or judge these statements based on our condition. This is something far beyond us. Nevertheless, he used to state that when I find some deficiency in myself, then I give a bayan on this. That inshallah, with the barakat of that, I find Allah Ta'ala grants me the tawfiq of making amal. So this is the object that by talking about this, by listening to it, Allah Ta'ala, we hope from Allah Ta'ala, wa ta'ala that Allah Ta'ala will open the way for us and take us to this great wealth. Just to get some understanding of what level people had in their intentions, when they made some intention and they undertook something, what extent of khulus, what extent of sincerity was in it, that there was no other motivation but that. Some of these things are very far away from even our imagination. Neither can we try to aspire for that in our present condition. It's beyond us to even aspire for it. But these are the type of incidents that we have to be reflecting on time and again. Which will inshallah bring us a little bit closer. Which will help us to start seeing the path. So in this regard, one incident which Hazrat Ma'ashafali Thanvi Rahmatullahi himself has mentioned. And he even mentioned that this is something that should be discussed in the gatherings of in the bayans and talks that are conducted for the women, for females. Because there are many lessons in it, because this incident pertains to a woman also. But it is not restricted to any, to the benefit of women. This is for everybody. As I mentioned, it is an example of what level of khulus people had in their niyat. When they did something, they made a niyat for it, that niyat was pure. Now some of them went to a very high level in this. We can only just marvel at it. But we can take a lesson from there and apply that lesson in our lives to our capacity. Hazrat Thani mentions the incident of one Qurashi Buzrug. He was a very, very pious person. But he was a person who had a physical ailment. He was a leper. Though we might not have any understanding of what a leper is, for our purposes we understand it. Allah Ta'ala save one and all, give everybody shifa. But a person who has a very severe condition of psoriasis, for example, all over his body is very severe skin condition. Skin is peeling off and it makes a person very uncomfortable himself. The complexion of a person changes everything and it's a very difficult condition. Allah Ta'ala gives shifa to one and all. So this person was a leper. Leper is actually beyond that also. Sometimes parts of the flesh also start falling off. So this person was a leper. Now he had many people who were associated with him, many people who were linked to him. And from time to time they used to tell him that why don't you get married? But he was deliberately not getting married because of his condition. So he said, I am a leper. 
this is my condition and how can I even imagine getting married is going to put somebody in such taklif. But from time to time, his friends would tell him, no, we will find somebody. So eventually, when one day they persisted, so he said to them, well and good, if you all find somebody, but the situation must be very clearly outlined there. What is my condition? It mustn't be even one iota of anything hidden from the person. Then after that, if somebody still agrees, then well and good. But totally clarify the situation. After some days, one murid came and he said that there is a certain lady who is ready to marry you. So he first inquired that did you very, very clearly explain my condition? You didn't hide anything from the reality. He said, no, I have completely mentioned every detail that this is the position, you have this ailment, you are a leper, etc. Whatever the details are, I gave the full detail. So she is well aware. But she is still ready to marry you. So very well, if she is happy to marry me in that condition, so fine, let the nikah take place. <coughs> so the nikah finally took place. When the nikah took place, the father obviously, it was via the father that this girl got ready to marry him. So in any case now, when she came to the husband's house, so now the first meeting, she when she saw the husband, she immediately looked away and she said, there seems to be some mistake. My father got me married to a leper. But you who have entered this room, you are totally different. And there is no sign of any ailment on you. So it seems like there is some mistake somewhere. Because she hadn't seen the person, the father had described him. And uh, she accepted on that basis so when she said this, then he replied and said that no, there is no mistake. So he said, but my father didn't lie to me. He wouldn't have lied to me. She said, no, he didn't lie to you. And there is no mistake. But he said, Alhamdulillah, I made dua to Allah Ta'ala. That, ya Allah, whatever my condition is, I am happy with that. I am submitting myself entirely to you in the condition you have kept me. Whatever condition you have for me, I am happy with your decision, with your decree. But I made dua to Allah Ta'ala. That just the time when I meet my wife, I should be cured for that duration of time from this ailment. So Allah Ta'ala accepted my dua and therefore now that I have come to meet you, for this duration of time, this ailment has disappeared. But once I am back among people, I am back in public, my condition will be back to normal, normal meaning what my sickness is. I will still continue being a leper in that time. So this was his contact with Allah Ta'ala and this was the level of the person he had made that amount of sabr also and he had submitted and made that amount of tafweez. So Allah Ta'ala treats his servants in a unique way. We see something on the surface but Allah Ta'ala has the various ways of giving consolement also to his servants. But when he explained this entire detail, now we are talking about ikhlas. We are talking about this completely pure intention. And then we said also that some people, they follow it through to a level that is beyond our imagination. We can't even aspire for that in our present condition. When she replied, when, when she heard this, she said, well, in that case, you rather give me talaq and release me. So he got shocked. He says, but what's the problem? 
why do you want to be given talaq? So she said, when I was given the entire condition and I knew that you are a very pious person, so I made the niyat of khidmat, that I am going to get married to this person for the sake of making his khidmat, being of service to him, that obviously person needs a partner in life who can serve him, be of assistance to him. Now, because of your condition, you were not getting married, nobody was getting married to you, but I was aware that Allah Ta'ala has blessed you with a great rank, great position. So I became, uh, I got prepared to marry you purely for the sake of this service, not for anything of my personal nafs or desire. If this is going to be your condition, then might as well you release me because my intention now is not going to, what, what I intended, that is not going to be the case. So he said, okay, I'll make dua that I remain the way I am all the time. He said, very well then. Then you rather make dua that, that this respite is taken away, you remain the way you are. Then I don't mind remaining in your service and khidmat. Now, Tanvi mentioned this incident and he said, this is the example of khulus in the intention. She came with a particular purpose into this nikah. She didn't want, now as we said, this is of a very high level. This is beyond our imagination also. But this is something we draw inspiration from. And apply that inspiration into our lives according to our capacity. What extent have we progressed in this ikhlas? This is that khulus in that intention. That there must be no level of any contamination. Though this we won't even call contamination. There is no contamination in this. But this is that level where there was total purity in that intention. I'm doing something for the sake of Allah Ta'ala serving somebody for the sake of Allah Ta'ala, there isn't one iota of any personal interests involved in it. Not one iota, personal interests of any level. That I must even get anybody's thanks. I must get anybody's acknowledgement at some stage, at some little bit, some recognition somewhere must come. Somebody must say Jazakallah also. Not even that. Somebody must at least say, well, you know, mashallah, you're doing a good piece of work. And, you know, you have done this or that. And, uh, you know, you produce excellent results in your examination. Or somebody must give me some prize. Or somebody must say some words of praise. Nothing. There is no personal interest involved in it. As I said, we have to keep listening to this, talking about it. We have to keep discussing it. So that some consciousness develops. The reality is still far away from us. But this consciousness needs to develop. And that consciousness develops, then inshallah we'll start walking on that path towards ikhlas inshallah. And Allah Ta'ala out of His grace, out of His fazl will give us some iota of it. We beg Allah Ta'ala for granting us the showers of ikhlas. And the ocean of ikhlas. We still are thirsting for that one drop. But we beg for the showers of it. We beg for the ocean of it. But when we will start thirsting for that one drop and start trying to walk towards getting that one drop, out of His grace, Allah Ta'ala will grant us the ocean of ikhlas also. But this is a lesson, this is a, an example of this inspiration. There are many, many incidents of this nature. One incident which is very similar in one sense, but it is more the lesson of tawakkul. But tawakkul also stems from the root of everything is ikhlas. When a person has complete ikhlas, then tawazu will come also. 
a person would be humble to the extent of ikhlas. Because a person now has got his relationship with Allah Ta'ala pure. Then he realizes that I am nothing. Now he can humble himself. But when a person that ikhlas is deficient to a point, then the tawazu is also deficient. Then the person will take offense at trivial things. One is there's something, human nature is human nature, but in very, very trivial issues, person will become very seriously annoyed, takes serious exception, person will not be able to humble himself or herself in any way. This all so stems from the deficiency of ikhlas. So, like that we spoke about the tawakkul. Another great buzurug of his time, Abu Shuja Kirmani Rahmatullah Ali. Now he had a daughter who had grown up and he was concerned about now finding a suitable match. He was a great buzurug, a very famous personality of his time, a great buzurug. One day he saw one person and he observed him over time, a young person, and he realized that, mashallah, this person has great piety in him. He's an Allah wala. And Abu Shujaqirimani rahmatullahi himself was a great buzurg of his time. So he would have observed with the inner firasat and that intelligence that Allah Ta'ala blesses a person out of the taqwa he has. We mentioned this incident once some time ago as well. And this hadith of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, when Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam says, اِتَّقُوا فِرَاسَةَ الْمُؤْمِنِ فَإِنَّهُ يَنْظُرُ بِنُورِ اللَّهِ that fear the intelligence of a mu'min, because he sees with the nur that Allah Ta'ala blesses his heart with. He has an inner sight, which Allah Ta'ala blesses him with, or her with. And as a result, they discern many things, which generally are not discernible to people. This is as a result of the intelligence that Allah Ta'ala blesses that person, that inner sight. So he would have, and then the incident we mentioned was, of Imam Shafi, alayhi, person told him that, you have this power of kashf and he is refusing and saying I don't have any such powers that I can try and foresee the unseen I say, I got no powers of this nature and this person is saying no definitely you have so while they are discussing this one stranger passed by a person who was unknown to both of them he just passed by and walked along he was going somewhere he just walked past so the person who was debating with Imam Shafi he said to him or asked him that okay, this person, this stranger who has passed by, tell me what is this person's occupation? What does he do for a living? So Imam Shafi looked at him, looked at how he's walking, looked at, observed his manner for a while. This person is walking away, he's going down. So Imam Shafi said, I can't say for sure he's probably a blacksmith or a carpenter. So the person who was debating with Imam Shafi and insisting you got this kashf, he quickly walked towards that stranger and he went ahead and stopped him. And he said, brother, I just want to ask you one thing, that what do you do? What, what is your occupation? What do you do as a living? So he said, well, before I was a blacksmith, now I'm a, carp- I'm a carpenter. Now, where did this come from? That there's very fine signs in everything. Which a person who, like a Hakim, he puts his hand on the pulse, and he can perceive a lot of things from that pulse. And he says that you have this problem and that problem. Now we put our hand on our pulse, we say, forget discern the problems, we can't even find where the pulse is. We can't even feel the pulse itself. Forget feel what the pulse is telling us. But the person who is an expert, then his fingers are so sensitive to that fine pulse, 
that he is making out the difference between what is the problem or what messages it's giving and where the problem is, it's in the kidney or in the heart or in the liver or where it is, from feeling the pulse he can give the detail. So likewise the person who Allah Ta'ala is blessed with taqwa and he has this great taqwa, Allah Ta'ala blesses him as a result of that taqwa with this firasat, this inner sight, this intelligence. And he then perceives these fine signs. So in any case, this we just diverted Abu Shuja Kirmani he observed these things and realized this person is a very pious person. So then he went up to him. This person didn't know who's Abu Shuja Kirmani. He probably was a new person in the place or whatever. So Abu Shuja Kirmani asked him that, uh, who are you, etc. And then he said, are you married? He said, no, I'm not married, but who is going to get married to a poor person like me? I don't have anything. I'm down and out. So I can't even think of getting married because I've got nothing to provide to anybody. So, Abu Shuja Kirmani said, but what if I get you married to the daughter of Abu Shuja Kirmani? Now, he knew this person, the stranger knew of Abu Shuja Kirmani. He didn't know the person he's speaking to is the very Abu Shuja Kirmani. Rahmatullah alayhi. So, when he said to him that if I get you married to the daughter of Abu Shuja Kirmani, what do you think about that? The person said, please don't make a mockery of me. I can't even think of getting married to anybody ordinary and now you're talking about getting me married to the daughter of Bushuja Kirmani. So please don't, don't play the fool, don't mock me. So Bushuja Kirmani said, look, I myself am the person, I am Bushuja Kirmani and if you are ready, then I will get you married to my daughter. So he said, very well, if you are happy about it, you know my condition. If you are happy about that, very well. So in any case, the nikah was performed. Abu Shuja explained to his daughter that this is the type of person I am getting you married to. He has nothing. He is down and out. And she accepted. So in any case, the nikah was performed. And then Abu Shuja himself brought his daughter and he came and left her at her husband's house. It was about the time of Maghrib. The place was bare. But then she saw that it was close to iftar time. He has some little bit of olive oil and some dry bread kept aside. So it might have been kept aside from a while before. So she asked him that, what is this? So he said, well, it's, I'm fasting today. And I have kept this dry bread left over from yesterday and this oil that it will help me for today for my iftar, this olive oil. So she said, well, you rather than give me talaq and release me. So he said, but what? What's the problem? So she said, my father said that you are a very pious person and you are a person very close to Allah Ta'ala. But I am seeing that you are keeping this aside from the day before, which shows that your tawakkul and trust in Allah Ta'ala is deficient. That a person who is, as we mentioned, that this is not something we can even aspire for. But these are examples that we need to take a lesson from and apply in our lives within our capacity. So she said, my father told me that you are a very pious person. So I married you, I accepted the nikah, that I'm going to be getting married to somebody who is a really 
really pious person who has all the sifat and qualities. His tawakkul is of the highest category. Here I see that you are keeping things over for the next day, for the iftar. Your trust in Allah Ta'ala is deficient. Now this was her level of tawakkul. That if something was left over, it must be given away to the poor, given away to the people who are starving. And tomorrow, when tomorrow comes, Allah Ta'ala is our provider. Allah Ta'ala will provide for us. This was her level of tawakkul. That nothing should be left over for the next day. Whatever is left over, give it away. Whoever is needy and deserving. Now this is, now when she got married, she got married with this ikhlas. That I want to get married solely for the piety of the person. Now can we imagine how far away we have gone? Again, I'm repeatedly saying this. Nobody should even try to start aspiring for this overnight. That today we go home and now we don't want to allow anybody in the house to keep any leftovers. That the fridge also we're going to sell it away or give it away rather. The freezer we give it away also. And uh, whatever we eat, the leftovers, everything and even whatever leftover money there is to. Tomorrow we'll worry about tomorrow. Now tomorrow will come and if we got nothing, then we'll start crying. Because our tawakkul is not to that level. So we can't aspire for this, but we can take a lesson from it. That look at the khulus. That she got married for the piety of that person and she expected that everything is of the highest caliber. And the tawakkul also. But there was no personal interest apart from this getting married to the person for his ikhlas. For, for his piety. Now where have we gone? What is our level? What is our criteria? when choosing somebody as a marriage partner, accepting somebody's proposal, what is the criteria, what do we base our decisions on? By all means, we have to take note of whatever the necessities of life are. We have to be considerate of what our levels are. Otherwise, if we can't uh, live up to whatever is in our mind, the high levels that we have suddenly decided to create as our benchmark, then we will then start saying things and doing things which can sometimes become dangerous for our iman also. But, do we give the first priority to the deen of a person? Or do we first look at what is his dunya? Unfortunately, this is the kind of criteria that are being placed. When a person's proposal comes, then among the criteria that we look at is, what kind of car is a person driving? Is it a fancy enough car? And will he take me for a holiday every year? And Allah forbid, Allah forbid, even to the point where, nowadays these kind of things come up in the discussion, before the proposal is accepted. That uh, every weekend will we eat out? From Friday till Sunday, will, can the kitchen stay closed? And can we eat out? In other words, if that is not going to be the case, you know, if this kitchen is going to have to run seven days a week, then, sorry, this is something very difficult now. We can't, can't even think about this proposal. These kind of discussions are coming up in the proposals. And it might not be such a common factor. It might not have come up very often. But the fear is when these things start then they start gaining momentum. And unless people start becoming conscious that this is a major disaster that we are creating, otherwise this becomes like the norm thereafter.
So these kind of discussions are coming up. That what will be the position? Would they be able to eat out every weekend? So where is our criteria? Where is our ikhlas in this relationship that we want to take forward in life? So the issue is of ikhlas that we focus on having or doing everything only for the pleasure of Allah wa ta'ala, and within the limits of deen. person has some need, some requirements in life, obviously that will be put forward, that this is the level that of life that somebody has been brought in, and they may not manage something too much different, so they will express that. But decisions will not be made on the type of car that a person drives, if it is not of that standard and that uh, level, then this is something unacceptable. What is the bank balance of a person? If it is not of that caliber, then it is not acceptable at all. Or various other things in life for that matter. This is just one example. We don't make decisions based on dunya alone. Priority is deen. First we look at deen. That is the dictates of ikhlas. Our relationship with Allah Ta'ala. And then anything else we do in life. Whether it is something to do with deen or with dunya, that we first look at it in the framework of deen. And then we aspire to progress in this to the extent that every thought of ours that I should do this, I shouldn't do that, we weigh it in the scale of ikhlas. That how much is on the right hand side in terms of ikhlas, on the right hand side of the scale, in the pan on the right. And how much is on the left in terms of our personal motivation? Our nafs, how much has that come in? And the scale, that we keep weighing everything. Our acts, our deeds, our words. Our pleasure, our displeasure. Our words of praise to somebody, our reprimand to somebody. Our praise also to somebody, we weigh it first in the scale of ikhlas. Or is there some personal motivation in this? We are praising somebody, but we have some personal interest in that praise. We are reprimanding somebody. We weigh that also in the scale of ikhlas. Our happiness and our sadness, we weigh it in the scale of ikhlas. I got happy with somebody's praise. I should weigh it. Is this because I am making shukr to Allah Ta'ala that I am happy that Allah Ta'ala has put good thoughts in the hearts of somebody for me? Or is it that I got inflated like that hot air balloon? And Allah forbid, if that is the case, that I got inflated like that hot air balloon with somebody's praise, then I should fear that one, one slight thorn will come from somewhere, everything will crash. One slight criticism will come from somewhere, one thorn of criticism. It might be totally valid also, that criticism. But that thorn will bring me crashing to the ground. And the whole world will collapse. So if I am feeling happy, I am feeling happy for the sake of Allah Ta'ala. Allah Ta'ala has put good thoughts, Allah Ta'ala has covered my faults. If Allah Ta'ala had not covered my faults, who will praise me? But it's not the praise now that a person is happy about, but that Allah Ta'ala has put good opinion in the hearts of people for him or her. So now the person is feeling happy on the ni'mat of Allah Ta'ala, not feeling proud of oneself. And the person is feeling sad, feeling sad also is being weighed in the scale of ikhlas. Why am I feeling down and out? Somebody has said something to me. Somebody has criticized me in some way. Somebody has reprimanded me. So I am feeling sad. Why? Because my ego has been hurt? Or because, well, 
It's something else that now I should have done something the right way. I did it the wrong way. Now the person corrected me. But now why did I do the thing the wrong way? So I'm feeling a bit hurt about that. That why I did the thing the wrong way? So that's human nature. But it is not that I'm feeling upset about who is this person to tell me something or why did this person tell me something. So that too I go to weigh in the scale of ikhlas. My happiness must get weighed in the scale of ikhlas. My sadness must get weighed in the scale of ikhlas. Now as we keep reflecting upon this, keep thinking about it, keep uh, talking about it, keep listening to it, inshallah, summa inshallah, the consciousness will develop and only by the grace of Allah tabarak wa ta'ala, with His fazal and karam, Allah ta'ala will grant us the tawfiq of then walking towards this wealth of ikhlas. We are very, very far away still from that reality. But Allah ta'ala out of His grace will enable us to start moving in that direction. So this is the need of the moment, this is the thing that we have to keep reflecting within ourselves, keep talking about, keep discussing, keep thinking about it, keep building this uh, ability, of keep making this effort of, keep, of imagining the scale in our minds, the scale of ikhlas, and keep trying to weigh what we do, what we say, which side of the scale is it on? How much is on the right hand side? Is the scale now the pan of ikhlas? Has it come right down? Is that on the heaviest? And the pan of nafs and shaitan and personal motivation and personal agendas, is that empty? Or is this the other way around? Or is this something little bit on this side, little bit on that side? Keep imagining that scale in our minds. And this will help us to progress slowly but surely, inshallah, one step at a time. Nothing happens overnight. But slowly we will start seeing something different. And we will start discerning the weaknesses in our intentions. We will start seeing the illness that is there. And when a person starts discerning that there is an illness here, that there is a deficiency here, that there is a problem here, then there is hope now of ilaj, of treatment for the illness. There is hope that the person will take steps to remedy the problem. And a person now will keep making istighfar on that deficiency in their detention. The person will keep making dua for that ikhlas. The person will keep now trying to make an effort for that ikhlas. So this is what will, it will help this discussion to start witnessing and noticing and observing that there is a problem. Allah tabarak wa ta'ala give me also the tawfiq, give all of us a tawfiq of constantly making an effort to acquire this ikhlas. May Allah ta'ala purely out of His grace, His mercy, His fazal and karam Grant us the tawfiq of walking on the road of ikhlas and take us to the reality of ikhlas. With afiyat and salamati, Allah tabarak wa ta'ala bless one and all with this great wealth. Allah ta'ala make every word of ours, every deed of ours be solely for His pleasure and His raza. And Allah ta'ala save us from the motivations of nafs and shaitan. Wa akhiru da'wana an alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Allahumma laka alhamdu kulluhu wa laka shukru kulluhu. Allahumma la nuhsi thana'an alayk anta kama athnita ala nafsik. Jazallahu anna nabiyyana Muhammadan sallallahu alayhi wa sallama bima huwa ahlu. Rabbana ghalamna anfusana wa illam taghfil lana wa tarhamna lanakunanna min al-khasirin. اللهم إنا نسألك من خير ما سألك منه نبيك وحبيبك سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم ونعوذ بك من شر ما استعاذك منه نبيك وحبيبك سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم أنت المستعان وعليك البلاغ ولا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله العلي العظيم وصلى الله تعالى على خير خلقه سيدنا محمد وآله وصحبه معين والحمد لله رب العالمين